Welcome to the Practical Employment Law Podcast, a podcast covering all aspects of American employment law. I'm your host, Mark Chumley. In today's episode, I'm taking the podcast in a new direction. Over the past several months, I've had quite a few people approach me about being interviewed as a guest, and I've decided to start doing that from time to time. I don't have any preconceived notions about who can be a guest, but I will say that I have in mind some business owners and a couple of plaintiff's attorneys. Yes, I know that my audience has a lot of management side folks, but trust me, there's no better resource to learn from than the attorneys that might end up suing you. Today's episode will feature my interview with a plaintiff's attorney and author, Stephen Mitchell Sack. I hope you enjoy the discussion and bear in mind that the comments and views expressed by guests are their own and do not reflect my views or the views of any organizations with which I am affiliated. I have with me on the podcast today attorney and author Stephen Mitchell Sack. He has a new book out called Fired, Protect Your Rights and Fight Back, and he's here today to talk about it. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Why don't we start by having you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you for having me. Um, I've been practicing for only 42 years, and uh, I've represented thousands and thousands of executives and employees who are terminated. And what I do is I negotiate severance packages for them. I review their separation agreements. I'm also involved in uh, pre-hiring negotiations uh, with contracts. And of course, uh, like yourself, I've been involved in a lot of litigation involving discrimination, um, minimum wage, overtime violations, and breach of contract claims for commissions, bonuses, and other money. So I'm just working all day long. I'm almost 69, but I still love it. Uh, I work out of New York, and it's just a dream come true for me because uh, I learned this uh, area, or I you know, became a, a you know, involved in it through my father of blessed memory. My dad was a commissioned salesperson who was always getting exploited. And when I was growing up, being the oldest of four children, um, I didn't get much time to spend with my father because he was a traveling road salesperson. And in high school uh, and even in college, the only time I really could spend a lot of time with him was on the road. So in the summers, I would travel with him and I would go to conferences and trade shows and things of that nature. And I learned that my father wasn't the only one who was suffering from commission exploitation companies. He would build up the territory and then they would steal the, you know, convert them, the accounts into, into house accounts and take away his commission entitlement or cut his rates. And my dad just, you know, couldn't stand it. And he took a stand and he sued. When I was in law school, a couple of manufacturers, they called them Sue and Sack, of all things, and he won. And I would help him uh, prepare for these cases. And the law firms that he hired would comment to my father that I knew more about salesmen's rights than they did. And uh, I, I looked at that in a very unique way and um, then was fortunate enough to have been hired. Uh, I went to Boston College Law School. I graduated in 1979. But in the mid 70s, I worked for a law firm in Boston that was uh, handling a very large, unique and novel um, case involving a commission salesperson seeking, uh, procuring, you know, securing um, commissions that he had earned. He was fired right before the deal hit. 
And to make a long story short, uh, we won that case. It was a huge case decided in Massachusetts. And I wrote a book in law school called The Salesperson's Legal Guide with my roommate. The book was accepted and published in 1980 by Public Prentice Hall. And that launched my career. And then I started representing people that were fired and got a big break in 1984 when the Wall Street Journal did a story about many middle managers are fighting back after firing. Very few lawyers in those days negotiated severance packages. Uh, and the article mentioned me, and that was it. I started representing, you know, Wall Street people, bankers, financial people, people working for hedge funds, started arguing that they were entitled to bonuses when they were fired unfairly, maybe not unjustly or illegally, but and then my practice just, you know, grew from there and to where I am today. Great. Great. Now, uh, I've read your new book, uh, and I think it's very well done. Great deal of useful information for employees who want to know about their rights in the legal system. But let me ask you, why did you write this new book? I wrote it because it, almost like a legacy. You know, I've been practicing at the time when I wrote it more than 40 years. The laws had changed dramatically to favor employees throughout the United States. Uh, people don't know that, and many of them are still given the line, oh, you know, you work in an at-will state and you have no rights, and nothing could be farther from the truth. Also, in the last 10 years, I've won some major uh, jury trials. I won a $6.2 million uh, pregnancy discrimination verdict in the Bronx with another lawyer by the name of Scott A. Lucas, uh, and we also settled many other multi-million dollar uh, cases in the last decade. And I just said, you know, I got to give back to the American public. It was during COVID. Times were frightening. I didn't know what was going to happen to the world. And I said, I got to give back and just put all my thoughts on paper, my strategies, my tips, my advice and guidance. I wanted to give people checklists. I wanted to give them forms. Uh, I wanted to give them letters to send if they were terminated and they were owed vacation pay or expenses or, you know, minimum wages, et cetera. So I don't know what possessed me, but uh, I just was determined to get my career, put it all out there so that people all over the country could read it. And I'm thrilled uh, the reviews are starting to come in and people like yourself seem to appreciate the book. So I think it was um, effort well spent. Yeah, I, I think so. And um, I always say next to uh, divorce attorneys, employment attorneys are probably the most uh, consulted by friends and family. And uh, your book here is a is a tremendous resource for people who have questions. So let me ask you this. Uh, you've got a great deal of experience. What are the biggest mistakes that you see employees make when they find themselves in a job loss situation? Well, first of all, I think the preeminent number one mistake is that they sometimes are tricked into resigning. And I want all of our viewers and listeners to know that that's, that's a no-no. Never resign from a job. So a lot of companies will say, you know, Todd, we're thinking of laying you off, but, you know, we'll give you the opportunity to resign. And you think, well, that's good. You know, my reputation sounds good to me. Nothing could be farther from the truth. If you resign, you're forfeiting and you're waiving potential benefits like unemployment compensation, like severance pay, like let's say you're thought or you're close to a commission or a bonus that you were earning or a vested pension or profit sharing plan 
or equity, you know, stock, options, whatever. By you quitting, um, you're waiving your rights mostly in most situations. So you want to make the company fire you. If they say to you, oh, we'll let you resign. No, no, sorry. Uh, we can always, I can always tell the world that I resigned for personal reasons, but I'd like you to fire me. Uh, so that's a little counterintuitive. The second thing is they do not look at or negotiate the terms of the offer that they usually get when they're terminated. Most people will be fired suddenly. Companies do that because they want to shock you and they're hoping that you'll just bow your head, shuffle your feet out the door and not ask for any more or request any additional non-financial consideration. That's not what you should do. Every firing is negotiable. In my practice, and I represent hundreds of terminated individuals every year, more than 80% of the time, I get them more money and or non-financial changes of benefits in their separation agreement. So let me explain how that works. Most people, um, when they're terminated, companies, unless you're, and I'm not talking about the people that are fired for punching someone or drinking on the job or stealing, you know, none of that. I'm talking about a layoff, a restructuring, a downsizing, a termination, not for cause where someone didn't do anything wrong. Companies, especially if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, if you're pregnant, if you're over 60, uh, they will offer you a package and they will offer you an agreement. Now, they're not being kind. They want you to sign the separation agreement, which by its main component, contains a release in it and the release will protect them so that you can't sue them in the future for any claim. So knowing that and knowing that they want a piece of paper signed, you should be able to go back in and ask for more. And I'm sure we'll be able to speak about today, you know, some of the things that uh, people should ask for and how to negotiate to get a better deal. Yeah, those are those are great points. Um, now, I will say this: a lot of my listeners uh, are on the management side. I'm a management side, primarily a management side uh, attorney myself. So, I, I guess uh, a question that would be great and helpful for us uh, to talk about is, based on your experience, what's the biggest mistake that you see employers make in terminating employees? I think it's not necessarily a mistake because if companies can fire someone and get away with it and the individual doesn't hire a lawyer to threaten litigation or commence litigation, then they've done what they were hoping would happen. You know, they got rid of someone, maybe a person, a senior person making a lot of money, they've cut their costs at no downside. So I'm not so sure that people, uh, employers do make mistakes. And that employers, you know, I mean, if they want to fire you, I mean, they, what they should do, especially they should read their contracts with you, with the individual or the executive. Maybe the executive has some sort of a uh, job security. And then there's a definition of cause versus not for cause. So if they're fired not for cause, they get money or benefits. And if they're fired for cause, they lose everything. Uh, they should obviously uh, check the contract confer with a, an attorney like yourself before making the actual decision to terminate uh, to make sure that they're following the contract itself. I think the mistake that employers make is sometimes they don't read the contract and they're in breach of the contract 
by not following the contract. Yeah, I've seen that many, many times, and I absolutely agree that it's important to know uh, exactly how things are supposed to proceed um, before you just take action. Um, it's it's a common mistake, certainly. Um, you had mentioned a moment ago uh, something about um, what employees should be asking for, um, maybe in a severance scenario. I think uh, my listeners would be interested in hearing uh, your views on that. Thanks. So. When I negotiate for a client or, you know, in the book, in Fired, people will get a, a list of things to ask for and how to pitch it. Um, I, I, the way I do it is I throw 20 darts on a wall. And if five stick, uh, I'm ahead of the game for the client. So the first thing that I look for is I'll ask for notice pay. Many executives who've been, you know, not if you've been there for a year, but you've been there for 20 years and you're fired suddenly through no fault of your own, I think you really are entitled to a couple of weeks or more of notice pay. So I throw that out. Then I try to get them more severance. And, you know, the way I do it is I don't threaten litigation at all. I appeal to corporate decency and fair play. I say something like, you know, my client has been working for you for 20 years. Last year, she saved the company a million dollars by X, Y, and Z, or made the company a million dollars. She's got a, a husband that's ill two kids in college, an expensive home. It's going to take her at least six months to find a suitable replacement job. You're putting on the road to financial ruin by not, let's say, by only offering her four weeks severance pay. And that argument uh, or that request seems to um, work most of the time. Right? Companies are not charities, but on the other hand, they recognize that if you've given the company your all, if you were there during COVID, and you worked weekends, and you really sacrificed a lot, traveled a lot, and at the expense of your family life, that the least they can do is uh, reward you for your long-term outstanding service. Um, and I try to get one month per year for um, a client. So if you got one week per year, you can definitely double it or do better. So shoot for one month per year and settle for less. Um, here's one that's a really easy request. Um, at, you know, medical coverage uh, is so expensive these days. My clients, some of them are paying over 4000 a month for medical premiums. Try to get the company to pay for them uh, for a few months after you're no longer there. Under COBRA, you know, you have the right to continue your medical coverage for you and your family, but um, not, not a, you know, the company is not paying for it. Ask for them to pay for it. I think it'll work most of the time. If they offered you three months that they're paying for, try to get it to six, you know, just, you know, back and forth, you know, horse trading works. Um, here's one, ask for outplacement assistance or cash in lieu of it. Many, many times I get that. The big key is if, you know, you got to recognize if you've been treated illegally, but if you're not, and the book covers like, you know, whether you're a victim of age discrimination, sex discrimination, pregnancy, race religion, you know, discrimination, all that. But how about if it's an unfair firing? It may be legal, but let's say you were working a full year and every year you got a $50,000 bonus based on specific criteria. The company was having a good year and yet they fired you suddenly in November and they offered you nothing. Well, shouldn't you get at least, you know, 11 12th, the pro rata bonus? You worked the whole year and but for the firing, you would have gotten it. So I asked for that. I ask for, um, let's say you were close to a vested 
pension or profit sharing plan. Maybe the company can keep you on unpaid leave for a couple of months so that you qualify for that 10-year pension or equity, you know, stock or options that are about to vest. So these are the kinds of things to ask from a financial point of view. And then there's so many non-financial requests. For example, you want to ask for a favorable letter of reference. And in the book, there's a copy of one. Like It might be like, who may concern? Charles worked here from blank to blank as a blank, performed his services competently, and we wish him well in his endeavors. That's all you need, just a simple letter of reference. Because a lot of times companies will say, yeah, yeah, don't worry, we'll give him a good reference. And then when a prospective employer calls, the person that made that promise ducks the call or refuses to give a good reference. So you don't want that. Or, you know, if you have a little, uh, a simple reference in your hand, and a lot shorter is better, uh, you're in good shape. Also, you might want to get a mutual non-disparagement provision. You might want to get a sentence in there that says if the prospective employer calls, you know, a confirmation of the reference policy, uh, the company agrees that they will only confirm dates of employment and positions held. What that does is it allows you peace of mind that they're not going to talk negative about you. And if they do, they're in breach of contract because of that. Then there's a clause in there. They usually ask for your cooperation in litigation, but I don't want you to be a slave. So it's got to be reasonable, limited to three hours, let's say. And then they have to pay you for your per diem or hourly rate if they want more time from you and your um, expenses. So these are some of the issues that uh, my clients are confronted with all day long. They should carefully read the proposed separation agreement, never accept the first version, go back in on their own or with a lawyer, negotiate a better deal. Uh, the book that I wrote, uh, there's a chapter on how to hire a labor and employment lawyer, how to work with one. I give ca- copies of retainer agreements with the lawyer. I give uh, a sample billing statement that everybody should use whatever lawyer they they work with. And the bottom line is, I just wanted to make fired a hands-on book, a practical book, a guide, so that people would really understand how they could improve themselves if and when they were unfortunately terminated. Yeah, I think you've done that. And and the other thing I would say, you know, maybe the ironic thing here a little bit um, from the defense perspective is a lot of the things you mentioned, and particularly the non-monetary things, are things that I think a lot of companies want as well. And then the other thing I would I would kind of make a point of here is, you know, your approach of sort of a soft approach, not necessarily threatening litigation, is really interesting because it's not the approach most plaintiff's attorneys take. And I think many times the employer gets sort of a a, a letter form of a legal brief telling them all the things they all the laws they broke and and nothing makes them circle the wagons faster than that. So interesting approach of of taking sort of a soft um, a soft negotiating stance of of fairness and and equity. So I think that's uh, I, that that's interesting. I, I don't see much of that, frankly. So I thank you for that yeah. comment. Let me just make a a point about that. You are absolutely correct. It goes against the grain of most lawyers, the way they practice law. Uh, And I've been told time and time again, I would say hundreds of times by opposing counsel, HR people that I'm dealing with, how refreshing that approach is and how they appreciate it. And it sets the tone for a a nice, uh, quick, fairly quick, you know, resolution, improving the offer. 
I know because I've been told that time and time again. And I believe that when uh, the best approach is the soft approach. I mean, if you have the facts and it's an egregious firing, like I represented um, uh, three pregnant women. They were all fired within a couple of weeks of telling the boss they were pregnant. And one of the women, when she told the boss she was pregnant, the owner and boss said, are you going to keep it? That was his first comment out of his mouth. That was so disgusting. I couldn't settle that case. I sued the company and him and won a $6.2 million jury verdict. So, you know, when, when you have such an agree and with punitive damages. So I'm not going to be soft and calm and nice, you know, in a situation like that. But virtually most of my cases, when the person has no rights other than longevity and being at the company a long time and doing a good job for them and being terminated suddenly for surprise, why wouldn't I take a soft approach to get the parties to, you know, reach an accommodation and be amicable and move on? So I thank you for that comment because it was very insightful, of course, as a, uh, a lawyer would know. Yeah, and I agree with you. Obviously, there are some cases that are just not going to be easy to settle um, when there are egregious facts. And, you know, I think you mentioned already that goes both right. ways. You know, it could it could be the employee who was uh, terminated uh, because they richly deserved it, or it could be the employer acting in a completely inappropriate way. But there are some cases, obviously, uh, that can't be settled. Let me ask you this. Um, I know a lot of people are concerned about the economy and things are starting to look pretty rough for a lot of uh, industries right now. And it seems like the news is always full of stories about workplace and employment law issues. Um, what do you think will be the biggest issues in employment law over, say, the next year or so? I don't take a political or economic approach in my practice. I look at, from the beginning of time when I started, uh, people who were fired, I always went to bat for them to try to get them more. And believe it or not, what's counter to uh, a normal situation is interesting. You would think with the economy getting worse and people getting laid off, companies would be cheap uh, about paying people severance packages, but they're not. They're, they're always paying them, and they're paying them more when a lawyer gets involved, in my experience, you know, most of the time. So um, it's interesting that uh, even in, in financially distressing times, companies have some money to put aside to uh, get someone as ample consideration to sign a separation agreement and a release. So I find that to be interesting. Also, you know, in times of economic issues, I think it's to the company's benefit to settle with an individual and get them to sign a release so they don't have to engage a lawyer like yourself uh, unless they have defense, you know, insurance defense, to defend them in a lawsuit. So I think, you know, speaking amicably, um, coming to, you know, you know the, right, the right approach from both sides, uh, whether it's a booming time or a recession, is always the best policy. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. So, uh, well, this has been, uh, this has been very insightful and very helpful. Um, the book is fired, protect your rights and fight back. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes and a link to Steve's contact information. If anybody wants to reach out to him, uh, with a case or, or just, uh, uh, comment, 
Um, so if anyone's interested in picking up a copy of the book, please check the show notes. And Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. It was really a pleasure. And again, just advise you know your listeners that every firing is negotiable, especially if you've been there for a while and you were fired through no fault of your own. Don't accept the company's first offer. Think about what you want to do and hopefully, you know, fight back. All right. Thanks, Steve. All the best. This has been the Practical Employment Law Podcast. Thanks for listening. Please watch for future episodes wherever you get podcasts. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. If you would like to contact me about any aspect of the podcast, my email address is mchumley at kmklaw.com, and my full contact information is in the show notes. This podcast was created for general informational purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or a solicitation to provide legal services. Although we attempt to ensure that the podcast is complete, accurate, and up-to-date, we assume no responsibility for its completeness, accuracy, or timeliness. The information in this podcast is not intended to create, and listening to it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. Listeners should not act upon this information without seeking professional legal counsel.